Captain Ron, may I have the camera, please? Yeah, sure, boss. Uh, I just, you know, I saw it down below. It's how to take a look. I, I, I didn't use any film, though. Is that right? Let me tell you something. This is not a toy, okay? It's a highly complex piece of equipment. Well, I can see that, boss. I mean, there are all kind of buttons there. It came with a 64-page instruction book. Back in a second. I've read the entire thing. Have you? I don't think so. <clears throat> Excuse me. Captain Ron, I was wondering, are we going to be going to any more, like, human-type places? Well, you heard of St. Croix. Yeah. We're going to the island just to the left of it. What's it called? Ted's. Hello again, this is Mike Mezgleski. And Mike Haber. And welcome to another episode of the Jim Church School of Digital Underwater Photography Podcasts. A few weeks ago, we introduced a feature called Shooting Situation to our podcasts. Well, last week in Belize, Mike and I had several extended critter encounters that fit nicely into that theme of working with your subject. So in this segment, Mike has selected four shooting situations under this theme and will describe his experiences of working cooperative subjects throughout his dive. And once again, we hope that you'll take away an understanding of how you might deal with similar situations when you're faced with them. As before, this shooting situation will be illustrated with photographs. It's a good idea to view those photo images while you're listening to this episode. Go to our website, www.jimchurchphoto.com, and click on the podcast tab at the top of the home page. Then go to the August podcast page where you'll find the link to this podcast. Thanks, Mike. During our recent digital class aboard the Belize Aggressor, I had the opportunity to shoot a bit. The theme of this episode, Working Your Subject, was on my mind every time I entered the water. So I went searching for critters that would stick around long enough to qualify for this topic. The first of four such shooting situations was of yellowhead jawfish. These guys can be easily found in shallow sandy patches all over the Caribbean. My goal for this shoot was to capture two or more jawfish in a single frame. Within a few minutes, I found a cluster of jawfish living so close together that I felt they had a reasonable chance of lining up more than one in my viewfinder. As was the case with all of the images that I'm going to describe today, I was shooting a Canon 20D with a Canon 60mm macro lens and two SB105 strobes, each set for quarter power. The ISO on my 20D was set for 100. The individual exposure details for each image can be found on this podcast's web pages when you click on the thumbnail images. As I looked at my jawfish options, I selected an area where I could lay down flat on the sand without disturbing the surrounding environment. 
This is critical because you never want to damage the reef just to get a photo. And while we're on the subject of what not to do, never place your subject in a position where it cannot retreat or escape if it needs to. We promote working your subject, not harassing it. After observing the jawfish community for a while, I selected a single fish that would become my main subject. I looked for a larger fish that wasn't too timid about my approach. After choosing my number one jawfish, I lined myself up so that his jawfish hole, or his front door, was directly between my line of sight and a second jawfish hole that was perhaps 8 to 12 inches farther away. It's probably a good time to point out that the four jawfish images that I've posted on this podcast webpage came from the second of two dives to that exact spot. The first dive was used mostly as an exposure test. You see, during the time of day that I was shooting, in very bright and shallow water conditions, it was virtually impossible for me to see the camera's LCD panel. Therefore, I couldn't review my exposures as I took them. The first dive was essentially a lighting test. On the boat, after the dive, I was able to confirm the correct strobe angles and exposure settings. It was during the second dive that I took what I'd learned from the first dive and turned it into the images that you see on the web. The duration of the jawfish shoot on the second dive was 27 minutes and it resulted in 41 images. Throughout the shoot, I continued to refine my camera positioning, but mostly, I waited for the jawfish to position themselves to my liking. Keep in mind that they rarely stay in one spot for more than a fraction of a second. The camera positioning I speak of allowed me to separate the jawfish from the bright sandy bottom. In the first two photos on the web page, you can see that the fish blend into the background too much. By moving my camera lower and waiting for the fish to rise higher in the water, I was able to capture a darker background, which allows the jawfish to stand out more prominently. By the third web page image, I had achieved the separation I wanted but I still wasn't happy with the positioning of the jawfish in the frame. Finally, 27 minutes into the shoot, the front jawfish moved a little back and the rear jawfish moved a little forward and bada bing, I got the shot. I looked at the LCD and even in bright light, I knew I didn't have to shoot those jawfish anymore. It was a good thing too because just as I had taken that last shot, a free-swimming green moray floated about a foot and a half over my head. I didn't know where he was going, but I intended to find out. I followed him from one spot to another until he finally settled into a cleaning station. I let him settle in and get comfortable before I approached. The opening of the cleaning station was nestled nicely on a sandy patch between two large coral pieces. Once again, I was able to lay on the sand without disturbing the surrounding environment. I couldn't believe my luck. Here, it was a simple matter of keeping my eye in the viewfinder and shooting when the most interesting group of cleaners would emerge. The duration of the moray shoot was 48 minutes and resulted in 105 images. During this sequence of shots, I attempted to achieve two simple things. Get close and wait for interesting action to occur. Why stay in one place for 48 minutes? because I wasn't likely to find anything more interesting flitting from spot to spot, and because this fellow wasn't going anywhere. 
The quality of these shots is based on the position and number of neon gobies moving about the moray's head. Sometimes they totally disappeared, yet other times they seemed to conduct impromptu mass meetings around his eyeball. My attitude here was to keep shooting until the subject moved away. At the end of this dive, after 75 minutes of shooting and 146 images, I was out of time, out of air, and out of memory, but my subjects were still open for business. My next shooting situation was of a critter of a different sort, one that was a little more mobile around the reef, a lizardfish. In this shooting situation, I found a lizardfish perched on a piece of coral with his back towards me. As I swam around him, I saw that there was little chance that I was going to be able to photograph him with any sort of pleasing background. My only hope was for him to move. But before he moved, I wanted to prepare for that possibility. So I readied my strobes and adjusted my exposure settings. In this case, I thought that a few test shots would allow me to check my exposures as well as see how close the lizardfish would allow me to get. After just a few shots, this lovely creature decided to hit the road. He moved and I followed. He moved again and I followed again. During these moves, he was never harassed. I think he just didn't want to have his picture taken. You know the type. After one more move, he landed next to another lizardfish. I was able to settle myself and fire off a handful of shots of the pair before my primary subject, once again, left for greener pastures. Rather than continue to follow, I stayed with this new fish. He was in a good shooting position and allowed me to approach. As you can see on the web page, I was able to get close enough for a very nice headshot. Along the way, I kept shooting, and on several instances, I was even able to capture a pretty nice lizardfish yawn. Once again, patience paid off. If I had stopped shooting when the first lizardfish initially moved, I wouldn't have gotten very much from that dive. As it turned out, total lizardfish shoot duration, 26 minutes and 76 images. In fact, when I got done shooting, I dropped down the wall and got Mike, who was also shooting a 60mm lens, but with his D70. I brought him over to my photogenic pal, and Mike was able to shoot the lizardfish for a while himself. My final shooting situation is just a bit different than the others, although it still required a bit of patience as well as persistence. This was a shot of a sailfin blenny. The difference between shooting a sailfin blenny and all of the other subjects is that you can shoot the other subjects a variety of different ways, from different angles, with different lighting that will result in pleasing images. But with a sailfin blenny, there's only one way you want to photograph him. Fully exposed with his sail totally unfurled and in profile. A head-on shot won't capture the beauty of his sail. In order to accomplish this, you need to position yourself in front of a known sailfin blenny opening and wait. Since you know that sooner or later he's going to come out and do his thing, there's no great exposure issues to deal with. A couple of test shots will lock you in on your exposure settings. Everything with this shot is timing. In fact, I'd never even attempt to capture a sailfin blenny with a point-and-shoot digital camera. Any shutter lag would make it almost impossible to accomplish this.
Even with a good digital SLR, the Sailfin Blenny's many fake exit moves will give you a good case of the shutter yips. The Sailfin Blenny shoot lasted 30 minutes and resulted in 64 images, most of which were only the tip of his nose as he darted back into his hole. I did capture three images of the Sailfin Blenny completely exposed and in full profile. Of course, when I was finished, I needed a cold compress and a nap to get rid of the yips. There you have it. Four critters, four shooting situations. In the first situation, I had a specific goal for an easy-to-find subject. The second situation had me shooting a fairly stationary subject until something interesting happened around it. The third had me stalking a subject until it allowed me to photograph it. And the final situation had me waiting until the subject did the one and only thing that made it photographically interesting. What each of these situations had in common was that I was in no hurry to move to anything else. Sometimes, in spite of your patience and persistence, you'll come up empty. But more times than not, you'll be rewarded with a pretty decent photographic opportunity. When those opportunities present themselves, keep on shooting. I'd rather finish the dive with one or two great shots from having worked a subject than a dozen mediocre shots from having moved from subject to subject to subject. Remember, the grass, or the moray for that matter, isn't always greener on the other side of the reef. As you've seen and heard, taking your time with a subject can result in some pretty nice images, especially when you find a subject that's cooperative. Sometimes, a good shot is a matter of luck, but more often, you have to make your own luck. Working your subject is a big part of making your own luck. Think about that the next time you're in the water shooting. By being just a little bit more patient and a touch more persistent, you may find that your photographic opportunities increase. As always, we enjoy hearing from you, so please continue to send us your ideas for future podcasts. You can do this by emailing us at podcast at jimchurchphoto.com. And remember that you can always get the archives to all of our previous podcasts on our website by clicking on the podcast tab at the top of the homepage, www.jimchurchphoto.com. So until next week, this is Mike Mizgleski and Mike Haber, and we'll be seeing you on the next podcast. some music on that jukebox, huh? Hey, boss! Hey, if you're going back, stay on the path. You know, there's gorillas in these woods. Gorillas? Too cool. Uh, ben, honey, th th there are no gorillas. Not here. Well, yeah, there is, boss. Uh, sorry, Captain Ron. Gorillas are native to equatorial Africa. Okay? No gorillas. Not here. No way. <laughs>